our series on Can't Complain. I'm excited to come to conclude our series on Can't Complain. Right? It's like it's like it's it's been challenging to say the least. Let me let me make sure that I'm online with you guys here. Give me one moment. Just make sure that I'm connected to same thing that my sound guys are connected to. Just a moment. And don't worry, I will not complain about our tech. Tech is good. Tech is awesome. Tech is fantastic. The Lord gave us technology. Even when it doesn't work, it is great. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is, can you put me on the first slide? There we go. Tech is awesome. Our AV is awesome because they're going to bring me through this sermon. And so I might, I might say, next slide, next slide. But in any case, thank you so much, Duncan, for a great communion, brother. I appreciate it so much. Um, bringing the Greek in there and, and teaching us about communion. Um, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I did. Um, ate a lot. Ate too much. I hope you did as well. I hope you didn't um, debauch on food, but ate just like that borderline right before you you know enter into the overindulgence. You know there is a borderline, right? And so if you get close to that borderline, it's okay. It's not sinful, but you just have to know where that is. And so I hope that you ate up until that point where you could just stop and say, Amen, God, I didn't do it. Got close, but I resisted. And so hope your Thanksgiving also included a lot of gratitude, a lot of giving thanks uh, to God and and being grateful for those around you and for and for what God has done in your lives. And so let me ask you this. How how is hashtag no complaint member going for you? <laughs> I was I was wondering if I was gonna hear any like right, you know, but I, I guess not. Travis is putting his hand up like, yeah, it's going good. All right, let me tell you. Let me tell you, he is a superstar when it comes to not complaining. All right, I'll just tell you guys that right now. He really does not complain. All right, and so that's for sure. Um, but it seems impossible, doesn't it, not to complain? It seems pretty much almost impossible. And the truth is we need to complain sometimes. Some of you guys are like, yeah. <laughs> preach it, bro. Right? It's like, I'm glad to be here to hear that. But listen, I certainly did complain the last few weeks. I did. But I'll explain what I mean. But first, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer, God, just so grateful 
for who you are. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your mercy. We're grateful for how you take care of us, Father. But God, I also want to offer up a special prayer for those who are unwell. Father, I pray for our seniors. I pray for Mama Rose. I pray for Bridget. I pray for Harriet. I pray for Aunt Diane. I pray for our seniors who are not well. But God, I also pray for Etta, who is homesick right now, God. God, I pray that you will be with her and help Tom to do his best to take care of her. God, we, we, are, we are a small church, so when we don't see someone, we miss them dearly. Father, be with them, encourage them, lift their spirits. Father, be with me as I preach this message. I pray that it will be your message and not my own. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will move in this place. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, we've, we've, uh, we've spent this sermon series learning about complaining and, and learning that complaining is a big deal. Amen. That God takes it seriously. It's poison. Complaining is like, it's poison, right? It's a sin that can ruin our lives. But it's such a part of our lives, though. You know, so this might, this might shock you. There is a way to complain righteously. Mama said, I beg you pardon. There is a way to complain righteously. And we have already mentioned this in the past. Let, let me have the next slide, please. And so it's lament. Lament. There is a whole book called Lamentations, right? And that's how legit this is, right? There's a whole book called Lamentations, and no surprise, it's by the weeping prophet Jeremiah. The book of Lamentations is a series of five separate laments over the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And what does it mean to lament? It's a venting to God. It's a venting to God. It's a time to be real. It's, it's, it's no need to be polite even in your venting. Interesting, isn't it? That it, as we read the scriptures, we see this lamenting. And it's not this, this, this case where they're lamenting and they're concerned about being polite as they lament. I'll explain. You know, people, as we pray, sometimes people, sometimes people turn into King James as they pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Thou. And they, they start going on and, and they start praying in this way that they're for, it's almost like they're forcing themselves to pray in a certain way that sounds distinguished and polite when they're praying to God. Why? You can let God have it. Guess what? He can handle it. You can be honest. How do we know? There are so many examples in the Psalms and by the prophets where they lament. We often falsely believe that we're supposed to, to, to swallow our complaints and put on a, a happy face. That if we're, if we're being negative, then we're sinning. 
But that's not true, nor is it healthy. It doesn't nurture a healthy relationship with God. Because then guess what you're doing? You're putting on a face in front of God that is untrue. And you think he doesn't know. You think he doesn't know? Come on now. You think you can really hide the way you're feeling before God? You think you can really cover it up? Next slide, please. And so, that's not what I had for Thanksgiving. So there's an article where Peekman, he writes, on a Saturday morning when my wife and I are trying to sleep in until that luxurious hour of 8 a.m., but our younger children are hungry for breakfast, they don't run outside to the neighbor begging for food. They come boldly into our bedroom asking for what they need. Will you please make me some eggs? We're tempted in those moments to get upset. But we should be honored by their request. It is in itself proof of our relationship with them. The reverse of this scene is tragically described by Dr. Russell Moore in his book, Adopted for Life. Moore describes going to an orphanage in Russia as they were in the process of pursuing adoption. The silence from the nursery was eerie. The babies in the cribs never cried. Not because they never needed anything, but because they had learned that no one cared enough to answer. Children who are confident of the love of a caregiver cry. For the Christian, our lament when taking to our Father in heaven is proof of our relationship with God, our connection to a great caregiver. You know, it is a vehicle for our mind, for the mind, as well as for the emotions. The lament is an expression of thoughtful grief. It's this expression of grief that we can bring to God and say, God, this is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm hurting. That's a lament. There are laments all throughout Scripture. For example, there are imprecatory psalms which are psalms in which the author calls for God to bring misfortune <laughs> and disaster upon enemies. For instance, Psalm 58, 6, verse 6. In the next slide. Psalm 58, verse 6, it says, Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. <laughs> Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. And another one not on the slide is Psalm 69, 22 through 28. Listen to this one. It says, may the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. 
May their eyes be darkened so they, they cannot see and their backs be bent over. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let, their, let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those who wound and talk about the pain of those who hurt. Change them with crime up upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be, may, may they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. Wow. There are many examples of laments. That is a serious lament. Our laments today don't necessarily sound like that. Okay. But out of all these examples, there is one hero of the lament. One man that you may not have you may not have heard of that lamented like no other, and his name is Asaph. He was a musician. Right? And You know, right now, next slide, please. Right now, the World Cup has been great. I'm enjoying some World Cup, let me tell you. It's, it's sometimes kind of distracting, but I'm enjoying the World Cup. So many upsets so far and so many surprises, right? And that's what I love. Like, it's so boring when the same teams, the same countries win all the time. Like, gee whiz, man. Like, give somebody else a chance, right? Asaph is like one of those teams in the World Cup, like Saudi Arabia. That was held in the first half, and then all of a sudden, they unleashed. And in the second half, on Argentina, and did something unexpected and great. And everybody was like, where did that come from? What just happened? Is Messi sleeping? You know how you know how um, Elijah was messing with you know. Is he sleeping? He starts off. Asaph starts off a sluggish. He starts off sluggish, gripped in an impossible situation. From the start. It is obvious that in his own strength. He is going nowhere. He needs God. But he feels angry and disappointed with God. But in the second half. Right? In the second half of the psalm we're going to look at. In Psalm 77. He turns it around. And by the end he is praising God. And expressing confidence in him as with most psalms of lament. And so here is how he does it. And we can imitate. He vents. He asks hard questions. And he remembers what God did. So let's look at the first point. Is that he vented and lamented to God. In Psalm 77, starting in verse 1, he says, I cried out to God for help. 
when I was in distress. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands. And I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. And so this psalm, it begins with a lament. And Asaph is, he is struggling and, and he's letting God know about it. We talked last week about when, you're, when you have trouble and you're, you're troubled with something, sometimes what we do is we let somebody know about it before God. But what he does here is he lets God know about it. Because who's going to help you? Who's going to help you? Instead of complaining to somebody, because that's what it is when you tell someone, it's complaining. When you tell God, you're lamenting. You see the difference? There's a difference. Because there's reasoning there's a reason you're going to God. You're going to God for help. Yes, you're complaining to God, but in the end result, you need his help. When you're going to somebody else, you're just flat complaining because they're not the one with the solution. Amen? So you're just flat complaining when you go to somebody else. And so he brings his struggle to God, and he's letting God have it. He's telling them this is what's going on. He's you know, he's real. He's raw. He's, he's not holding back. His troubles kept him awake. Praying and crying out to God throughout the night. Have you ever prayed to God like this? And I'm not saying you're praying to God until 12 o'clock. I'm not saying you're praying to God until 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. He is praying to God without ceasing all night, because he knows that God is his only hope. Have you ever even been in trouble like that? Where you felt like you had to do that? Where you said, there is no way I am going to sleep tonight. I am talking to God all night, two nights. He doesn't just complain. There's another step in lamenting. He asked God the hard questions. He asked God the tough questions. In the next verse, in verse 5, he says, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in, in, in anger withheld his compassion? Are you hearing what Asaph is saying here? He's like, God, where are you at this moment? Have you forgotten me? Have you ever been in trouble like this where you're like, God, 
what is happening. You are all powerful. Where is your power today? Where is your power demonstrated in my life? Have you forgotten to be merciful? He's letting God have it. He's like, look, this is the situation I'm in, God. He's asking God some hard questions. Many of us, we would be afraid of that because of what we've learned. But how to be respectful in our prayers to God. But he's asking some hard questions here. And Asaph, because he, he has a comeback attitude right here. This is like the second half right here now. Right? He has a comeback attitude. Don't be afraid to question God. Have you ever asked God tough questions? It could be as simple as, what is happening, God? Why is this happening, God? Many of us in here with health problems, have you ever asked the question? Why is this happening, God? Or are you respectful and just said, God, I guess this is what you want from me? Maybe. But are you asking the hard question? Why am I in this place? Why is this happening in my life? Financial issues. Why am I in this place? Why is this happening in my life? I don't expect God to just shower you with money. I'm just saying, ask the question. Asking question does something to our complaints. It starts to open us up to think about what God might be doing. Think about it. It gets you even more involved rather than just complaining. Asaph is also trying to, to move God to positive action. God, help me. Do something about it. I know your promises, God. In other words, he's also probing God's faithfulness. I know you're faithful. No one is saying to question his existence, but ask tough questions and ex expect answers. He really knows everything. So there's no question too hard. And there's no question he doesn't already expect you to ask. But you're just not asking. He's sitting there waiting for you to ask and you're just not asking. The fact that God doesn't strike him dead for asking these questions and challenging his authenticity and the authenticity to his covenant with his people tells us that it's okay to ask God tough questions as we lament. We see the same kind of questioning in different Psalms, like Psalm 6, Psalms 88. 
But here's the thing, though. As we ask these questions, as we lament, don't expect God to come whisper the answer in your ear. Are you searching the scriptures for the answer? Because you can't just go lamenting and and complaining to God and never pick up your Bible. There are two parts of this, okay? Because many of us, I don't think, we are digging into the Bible for the answers to our questions. Yes, we read our Bibles, but are we looking for the answers to our questions and the answers to the things that are happening in our lives in the Bible? Again, we're very quick to complain to one another, but are we looking for the answers in the scriptures? So that's how the conversation works, right? It's a lament between us and God, and the answers are in the scriptures where Jesus speaks. He speaks in the word, and we get the answers. The third thing is that we have to remember And so in verse 10, then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. So I hope you guys are seeing the pattern here. So he laments, right? And he has all these questions. And then now look what he does. Now he's starting to remember some things. And now he's starting to recall. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Verse 16, the waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water, the heavens resounded, with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You know, it seems like Asaph must have been having some really good quiet times. Really good quiet times in Exodus before, because after asking God tough questions, he's reminded about how God can do miracles like he did at the sea. Asaph calls to mind and appeals to God's power and grace when Moses parted the sea of Israel 
to escape the slavery of Egypt. And here's the thing. This is so important. Is that he does this rather than concentrating and obsessing on his present condition. Look, he looks to and recalls God's miracles of rescue. You see, some of us, we have a knack of obsessing on our present conditions and circumstances that that we are in and, and we don't even remember the real power of God. We have a knack of obsessing on situations. Something is going wrong in our life and we obsess on it. We get so obsessive. We lack something. We get obsessed. And we concentrate on that. Something goes wrong in our lives and we get obsessed. But that's not what Asaph does here. He doesn't obsess on it. Guess what he does? He remembers the mighty power of God and what God has done in the past. And he uses that to fuel him, to to fuel his faith. Because if if God did it in the past, he can do it today. If God parted the Red Sea in the past and brought them through millions Millions, leaving no footprints. Then don't you think he can solve your problems? And that's what Asaph looked at. He said, he's like, look, this is what you did, God. But what we do is that we don't, we don't look. We don't remember. We just obsess. We got issues, so we obsess. He finds concrete focus on God's saving acts. Concrete focus. Do you see in this psalm what he's complaining about? Does he point it out to you? Does he tell you? This is why I'm complaining. He doesn't name it. But he remembers what God can do. When our hearts are full of complaints, it usually means our memories are so short. When our hearts are full of complaints, our memories are so short. We don't remember what God has done. Or we don't read our Bibles. We don't remember. God does something every day to prove his faith to you, but you don't remember. And so what do we do? We complain. The Israelites, they didn't remember. So they complain. And that's what we do Day in and day out. Some of us, we will even go looking for something to complain about. Because we have short-term remembering loss. 
right? Y'all know the movie, right? Some of you guys say no. Finding Nemo? Short-term, <laughs> short-term memory loss? Get it? See, I'm not only, and the thing is, I'm not only referring to what we have studied as far as remembering those things, but also to what we've experienced in our lives. See, pictures of Travis come up on my phone, right? Pictures of my son come up on my phone or on my watch. And when I look at his photos, it takes away anything I might be feeling about his quirks. It's a funny kid. His misbehavior, which he doesn't misbehave much. But guess what I do? I remember the miraculous works. That's what I remember. When I see his pictures, I remember the miraculous works. I remember the days he was born one pound, eight ounces. And I remember the days in the NICU where I was petrified even to touch him. And I remember going home What was it, honey, six months later, seven months later, with oxygen tanks and G-tube in his belly and and a trach in in his neck and all these things feeling like, God, what is happening? And asking these hard questions. I remember that. Can you remember a time when God rescued you? Can you remember a time when God rescued somebody close to you? Think about it for a minute. Can you remember it? I think sometimes... Sometimes we just need to remember. And I pause because I hope you'll remember. You just need to remember. This is what Asaph was determined to focus on. Remembering what God has done to us with his people. With his people Israel. That is with his power. That there's nothing in our current situation that is too hard for God to do. So stop complaining about it. As he turns to the past, he goes from lament to praise. God is no longer seen as 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 a part of his troubles, but as a worker of wonders who deserves to be recognized as God of all gods and creator of all things. There's a quote, a common characteristic of the lament. 
is that it turns to praise at the end. He goes from weeping to crying in remembrance. And he looked to the past and found confidence for the present and hope for the future. You know, we can do the same thing as a church. One of the things that brings us together as a church is that we collectively share in the memory of share the memory of a much greater rescue plan than even Moses had. And that is the cross of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13, here's what it says. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Verse 9 says, we should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Grumbling and complaining, same thing. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except, that, except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know, I love the way this passage links the Old Testament and the New and gives us a great warning. You know, we started this series by talking about poisonous snakes in the desert in Numbers that bit those who complain. Serious stuff. Paul highlights other things that God punished Israel for in the desert, including sending destroying angels, right? In the ESV, it says sending the destroyer, right, with a capital D. Right? Sending the destroyer to destroy grumblers. So if you are planning on going right back to complain in December, in the lines at the stores buying your Christmas gifts, or storing up your complaints, I would recommend against it. Complaining and the spirit that leads to it do not please God, and they do not help us. 
But here's what's interesting in this passage as well as we close. Paul highlights in the first four verses that the people in Moses' day had Christ. They had the Spirit in the form of a cloud. They were baptized in the sea. They had communion in manna and water from a rock, which represented Christ. Yet they were overthrown. They were scattered in the wilderness because they did what was wrong. What was evil? Paul's point. Even people who have Jesus can be, over, can be overcome by a complaining spirit. We don't have the sacrificial system that Israel had, so maybe you haven't paid much attention to it. But one of the things that Israel was to sacrifice for was giving thanks. They were to sacrifice for giving thanks. Sacrificing as atonement for sin makes sense and kind of gets all the press, right? That's what we hear about all the time. Sacrificing as an atonement for sin. But Israel also commanded to sacrifice when they felt thankful. And maybe this is why we can appreciate thanksgiving so much. Actually, for me, it's the food. Just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. But it's but it's it's the one time of year that we we do something with our gratitude. It should be every day, but we do something with our gratitude. Guys. Did you remember to actually focus on gratitude this Thanksgiving? On being grateful. Maybe if we wrote more thank you notes. Maybe if we gave more to each other. I appreciate John and Harriet. They give to people. They bring stuff for us almost weekly. Maybe if we gave more to each other when we were grateful, it would have a bigger effect on our lives than we know. So I hope this series has shown you that your attitude is greatly affected by your gratitude. And I hope that the next time something unpleasant comes your way, however big or however small, you'll say, can't complain. And you'll mean it. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Can we give another hand for JD? That was such a great way in this series. Don't want to talk too much over that one because I'm still going to process that for the rest of December. So at this time, in honor of that, we're going to stand up as it is tis the season.
so we can also be thankful and not complain about Jesus coming into the world. Because our God gave up everything for us. So what reason do we have to complain? Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let us receive.